0: The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a weekend review on Friday.
1: My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today. The North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet, coming to you from the Hatching Leaders Studio here. Provolone is our entitled intern manning the production elements of today's broadcast. Boy, we've got a fantastic program in store for you today. We're going to have John Clark on a little bit later on. Clark Energy Consulting talking about what's going on with the negative oil prices, what's coming next, that sort of thing. He's had a little bit of time to process and talk to some people he knows. Of course, he's got his consulting business, pays attention to the news. His uh, family comes from oil and gas. He's down in Houston, so he's pretty well connected for a younger guy. And I say younger guy because I realize I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I'm not the spring chicken I used to be. In fact, I played one of these uh, Oculus games where you put on the headset. Now, I don't know if you folks have done this yet, but you put on the headset and then you escape to a different reality. So what I did is I put it on and I was in some yurt in the Rocky Mountains, it looked like, or the Himalayas, some geodesic dome yurt. Next thing you know, I'm in a paintball game. I'm getting shot about 15 times. I'm laying on the ground. Some dude's looking over me spouting off a bunch of smack-talk, crack-talk, whatever it might be. There you go. There's my first experience on Oculus. Do you folks want to know my first experience on the Internet? This is no lie. Okay, this is a fascinating story, but this will really tell you what the Internet is like. So I got my first computer back in 1993 is when I purchased my first computer. I believe it was an Acer. And the gentleman, it was either an Acer or a Compact. I can't remember, but the gentleman at Best Buy... He told me the 500 megabytes or the 50 megabytes, whatever it was. It wasn't even a gigabyte or a terabyte or uh, anything like that. We were still in the megabytes. He said, I will never even come close to using that much of my computer space. Never come close to getting 500 megabytes. Well, we all know that that gentleman's absolute language did not come out to be true, so lesson in being impeccable with your word. But here's a lesson in what the internet was to me. Okay, so I was working at a trucking company during the summer. I would be outside washing semis and washing the back end trailers, helping the guys in the mechanic shop, you know, washing tools and that sort of stuff. It was a great job, one of the best jobs of my life. And there was an IT guy who would come outside to smoke. And him and I would talk, have great t- conversations. He's you know, IT guy, real abstract thinker. So he he was very much into the internet, how that whole system worked. And of course, he was an IT guy. Well, the only thing he knew, the only thing he knew was that I was buying a computer that night and he knew approximately where I lived. Approximately, just the general vicinity where I lived. So That night I went and got the computer and I went and hooked it up And back then you had to put a CD-ROM in And there was I think 20 hours a month or a week Or I don't know, it was some kind of free AOL, net zero CompuServe thing I can't remember what it was But either way, I went, I put my computer together I logged in online And the first thing that happened is my screen locked up And then all of a sudden, it started going vertically up and down with these weird things. And it said, ha, 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 this is James. I got your computer now. How do you like the internet? That was my first experience on the internet. This IT guy for the trucking company I worked at, all he knew was I was buying a computer and kind of where I lived. Didn't know the address, didn't even know the block. Just the north side of a certain area. That's it, you know, like a 20 block area radius. Let's, let's call it that. And he was able to take control of my computer from wherever he lived. I have absolutely no idea. It was on the other side of town. That's all I knew. And that was my first experience on the internet. That changes how you do things on the internet when you know that that type of technology is that readily available by those individuals who know how to do it and have very cheeky senses of humor. Let's just put it that way. So lesson be learned, folks. Hey, listen, we got a great show today. Just thought I'd start off with that. Also, we're going to have Zach Ellis on in just a moment or two. Zach Ellis is going to give us an update on some loans, everything along those lines. I got uh, messages from Senator... Uh, Kevin Kramer, Senator Hoven, John Hoven About uh, some of the PPP program The small business loans it looks like That's going to go through the house tomorrow And Thursday And then on Friday the funds will be available So heads up folks Last time the bankers worked weekends They called the preferred customers That are going were going to assist the banks the most And they got taken care of first And that's why another round is here There are a lot of provisions in this There's a lot of things. So if you're a sole proprietor, you're a small business, you're a family business, you might get left out again. Call your bank, figure it out. Go talk to your representative, figure this out because there's another round of financing coming. And from the sounds of it, the next round is going to the rich people again because they're going to get an infrastructure bailout. So that's the way it's sounding now is there's another round coming Friday uh, meant for small businesses, but sounds like it's going to be pretty close to the same way it was before. The local bankers, uh, not local, there's some national ones too, but the banks are going to be able to pick and choose which ones they want to finance. They say it's first come, first serve, but that wasn't true the last time. So stop saying that. Stop saying that it was first come, first serve. It wasn't. They try to manipulate and re-grab the narrative, and that really upsets me, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. I'm not going to stand for it anymore so just call it what it is the banks decided to bail out who they wanted the people who were the most leveraged got a bailout and that's okay just say what it is provolone do you have that voicemail that we got from that guy from new york oh we got to play that oh that's perfect i love this guy this guy i'll tell you what folks Anybody can call the program. Anybody can leave me a voicemail. Anybody can shoot me a message, a social media, all kinds of different things. This one's fantastic. Are you ready for this, folks? Provolone? are you ready with this? Patch this in. This gentleman sums it up better than I ever could. It's a very
0: ticked off here. You know what ticks me off? Having to tell the government what to do because they have their heads in their asses. Now, follow me. There's something that's been bothering me, so I'm just going to say it now. Dear government, we understand that the virus is not your fault. It happened. It is what it is. I'm not going to get into that idea that maybe you could have acted sooner. We can deal with that when this is all over. But here's the deal. We need a real plan it was the right move to make everyone stay home because that's the only way to deal with a virus like this but here's where i have a problem so you told us to shut down non-essential businesses you told us to go home and quarantine you told us we have to keep social distance and stay inside but you told us you would help so where is the fucking help These checks are what they are. I mean, let's be serious. I'm not gonna turn away 1,200 bucks because number one, if you're gonna give it to me, I'm taking it. And number two, it's our fucking money, not yours. It's ours. We paid that in taxes for everything we do every fucking day. So, okay, look at the typical family, mortgage payment, healthcare payment, car payments, electric, water, garbage, phone, blah, 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 blah. So maybe, maybe the 1,200 covers the mortgage, but what about all the other costs that we have each month? This $1,200 thing isn't the for the normal family, You want to help? Here's one idea. Tell the banks and mortgage companies to stop all mortgage payments at this time. Just stop them. And don't give me that three-month furlough, b-ing. How does that even make sense? So someone who lost their job because you said to stay at home doesn't pay mortgage for three months, but in the fourth month they had to not only pay that month that's due, but also the three months they owed in full because it was furloughed? How the f*** does that help, you greedy Someone was just unemployed and not earning money for three months. They weren't earning money. Hello? Now they just start back to work and all that money magically appears so they can pay the three months in a lump sum. How are they f***ing paying that? Are you f***ing idiots? Look, it almost makes sense that they can stop paying the current mortgage due for the month when they go back to work. But they can't pay the prior three months. They had no income. So here's the idea. Just add the three f***ing months of the furlough to the back end of the loan so if they have let's say 19 years and six months left in their mortgage just add the three months tonight they have 19 years and nine months how f-ing hard is that you'll get your money you f- bags it's just delayed the working stiff wins if you do that it really helps it actually helps and what is up with these banks and lending assholes? I mean, come on. You literally make billions of dollars in profit quarterly. That's every three months. The last crash was 10 years ago. So have so you have 10 years of massive profits and you need a bailout after two weeks of a shutdown? How come we, the people, have to save for a rainy day but you save nothing? Every quarter that you made, three billion in profit. Profit, not income. Profit and all. That means you paid all your salaries and bills and everything you needed to pay to run a company for three months. So every time you made three, 3 billion in a quarter. If you had just put one billion in the bank, you'd have forty billion in the bank after ten years. That's not even including interest. But no, you greedy <laughs> suckers have to get bailed out again from our taxpayer money, and then you <laughs> by not giving us a real break on our mortgages, credit card bills, or car payments or anything, and the government allows this. We get <laughs> we bail you out. We get. <laughs> Rinse, lather, repeat. You dirt-neck <laughs> piece of shit should have had more than enough money to keep paying your workers and give everyone a break in mortgage payments the way I said for the time being. And again, I'm not saying to wipe the slate clean. I'm saying to just add the missing mortgage payment to the back end of everyone's loans. Do it for everything. The car lease is now three months longer. The credit card payment is now three months longer. The mortgage payment is now three months longer. You want to help the American worker, you can eliminate all payments due until this is over. Over. That way, unemployment and stimulus checks would only be needed for food. That is what the American family needs now. That would help us. You greedy fuckers <laughs> and you government lackeys. Who <laughs> bad. Shame on you all. There could be a real plan in place, a real plan to get people through these next few months, a real plan to be testing, a real plan to allow workers who are considered non-essential to not worry about catching a virus and losing their house. Do you do the right thing? you f- your heads. Having to tell the government what to do because they have their heads in their answers. That's what f- it ticks me off. and don't need-
1: Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Speece, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today as we take a quick break after that very passionate individual there that uh, was from New York, apparently. And uh, we do we get the bleeps? <laughs> we get them all there? I mean, I know it's a podcast, but, dude, I can't, I can't. I just have a little bit too much old radio and newspaper and magazine in me to where I get it. You know, these are not public airwaves it's a podcast but i can't be dropping f-bombs no i did that to the u.s senator and that's enough i that was enough for me to get it out of my system etc so anyway uh let's go to our first interview here zach ellis we wanted to bring him in to talk a little bit about financing like i said there might be some people not uh in in the in the banks here they are getting harassed they're getting um all kinds of things are happening in fact i was reading a news story where some individuals were getting their equipment repossessed by banks these banks get bailouts and now they're turning around and repossessing equipment so uh let's bring in zach ellis to find out if this is going on or what the story is here so um Probalone, can we patch him through please zach
2: Ellis, commercial credit group
1: outstanding thank you for joining us today the commercial finance pro my commercial finance guy that i like to check in on different news stories as well as different types of loans because i know that there's certain banks that are uh, SBA and certain banks that are CARES and certain banks that are private and etc and it's really confusing to me but Zach seems to know it pretty well so Zach Ellis I gotta ask you I saw an article about banks are going in to seize equipment now I thought we just had this big bailout, but apparently there's some didn't cover everybody and some banks now are going in to seize equipment. Is this you, are you following me on this or do I need to email you that story or?
3: No, I saw it myself, Jason. It's definitely a weary time that we're in right now. I saw the article. Um, and as a commercial finance professional, it's something that truly hits home when, you know, you call some of your top customers, guys that are doing anywhere from 30 million to 80 million in annual revenue. And I say, Hey, do you have loans with XYZ bank? And, you know did you see this article they're going to come and start taking equipment we're really noticing some of the bigger lenders that have more risk out there the bigger fortune 500 companies um, they're not going to take it on the chin this time they've been to the bankruptcies and they are not prepared this time to lose more money on assets that are already out there working or may not be working at this point
1: so when people get confused on things like this um... What do, you, what do you think is an easy definition or def, an easy explanation on something like this? Because the average person, you know, they think that small business got bailed out. And what I've been trying to explain to them is not everybody did. Not everybody did. And there's some people that chose not to. And there's some people that applied and they didn't get to. And a number of different things. And uh, when, when I hear something like this where where you've got banks going after and seizing equipment, and that's just, I don't know, it, it makes it makes me pause a little bit and just wonder if there's some miscommunication or some missteps or that sort of thing. So how can people, I guess, be a little more educated or even solve this problem, Zach?
3: Sure, that's a great question. You know, banks these days want to protect their interest just as anybody else does. And usually it's the other way around. Usually you're going to see, you know, the smaller hometown banks that want to protect their interest even more because their funds are limited. But when you take some of the bigger national banks out there that have, excess of millions fifty hundred million dollars of equipment with certain customers and they see oil prices where they're at um it's just it's it's a devastating situation just waiting to happen when you see oil trading in the negative and it's been a downtrend for months now the virus just added to it and now we have people working from home along with the entire you know future schedule has been cancelled these banks have been through it time and time again, the oil crash after oil crash, and they are preparing themselves to say, you know what, let's go out there and get our assets up front. So I encourage people, get with your whoever your representative, whether you have a regional sales manager that comes by and helps you with future equipment additions or whether you work with one of the corporate bankers in the commercial department, reach out to that lender and see what their plan is because they're going to disclose it to you and that will help you stay prepared.
1: I've heard a couple more rounds of financing still might be coming, you know, who knows. I uh, also heard people are having a hard time getting uh, energy assets as far as receivables backed by banks and that sort of thing. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you have available for people out there, because I know that it's outside of the big bailout. A lot of banks are, are pretty stringent right now.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. You're you're 100% right. You know, like we talked last week, April 3rd is when the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, which paid up to eight weeks of uh, salary pay for employees, the, it was $349 billion allotted from April 3rd. The program opened. It was closed April 16th at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. So just think about that. That's 13 days. That's $349 billion gone. In 13 days. So I know the government has been, has been working on additional funding for that. Um, along with that, uh, here in Texas, where I'm at, uh, in North Texas and Fort Worth, uh, Governor Abbott has actually talked about opening the economy come May 1st. Slowly but surely, we're going to have more and more businesses back in place. So if you're here in Texas, if you're close to the Barnett Shale, or you're close to um, the Permian or the Eagle Ford, wherever you're at, we definitely foresee those areas opening up production, but that doesn't mean energy or oil-wise is going to open back up, but it is positive news in a forward direction. So as far as commercial credit group, we will look at uh, transportation, construction, and some oil field pieces. It just really varies on what a customer needs, but the difference with us is we are an independent equipment lender. We are not a bank, so our guidelines are different. We're not stringent upon a customer maybe having slow pays, which is something that we've talked about. Slow pays will absolutely demolish somebody's credit. And that is something that we can look past. We make our own guidelines, we write the book, and we truly tailor a financing package to a customer's business.
0: Recruit Life is sponsored in part by
4: Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery.
1: All right, now we're going to bring in John Clark, patch him through to find out what the heck is going on in the world of oil and gas, negative oil prices, then it bleeped in the black again, and now who knows what's going to happen next, so it's been the last, uh, kind of a whirlwind the last couple days, John Clark.
5: Hey Jason, yeah, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, not bad, how are you?
5: Hanging in there, man. I was uh, starting to feel like Groundhog Day just about every day of lockdown. So still getting past that, but uh, yeah, yesterday was a shocking day for oil markets and a lot of you know. I actually didn't even watch the news yesterday, Jason, but I got all of my news from friends texting me and social media just blowing up about the oil market cratering, and it's it's really unprecedented. I I uh, I follow futures market. And even traders that have been trading oil and gas for decades, you know, gray haired, older than me, have said they've never seen anything like negative prices. And I certainly have not. And that was definitely a shock to witness yesterday. I think people were posting almost uh, maybe in advance of the fall, saying, oh, wow, we're down to 15 bucks. And then it's like, here goes 10, 5, 1. Oh my God, we're going negative. Negative $37 was the low print yesterday, and it shook the markets, not only the oil markets, but even the stock markets, and certainly that's the topic uh, of interest today.
1: Well, the thing that's interesting about the oil and gas when it comes to the stock market is that so much of the oil and gas industry dictates the economy, and even if you take a look at what's been going on with the current state of the economy, you know, the when China kind of went through their lockdown, shortly after that, the oil industry got hit pretty hard. And Whiting, you know, was laying off a third of the staff last July. And Halliburton laid off a couple thousand people just in Grand Junction in October. And, you know, we saw the stories happening left and right. And to see, so actually, when we, you and I talked about a one-two punch, I think it was a one-two-three punch. And now it's a 4 And then maybe a five coming. So we've got the original Chinese lockdown. That's a huge economy that was shut down over there for a couple months while they went into countrywide quarantine or whatever they did. And then, of course, we have it here. And then you've got the Russia and Saudi Arabia shenanigans as well. And then negative oil. And we're not even going to get into the Texas Railroad Commission, which could be uh another historic as well. So it's very difficult to even navigate where we're gonna be next week, John Clark. <laughs> That's
5: right. Yeah. It's it's it, you know, the price dropped so fast yesterday, it's it really kind of rattled a lot of even traders that have been, you know, trading, making markets for, for years, it's uh something we've never seen before and it 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 can be a little scary when you see something go negative. And I'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, for, for those. Well, I was going to
1: yep. I was going to ask you, um, you know, you, you talk to a number of people on the phone, you check out a number of Twitter feeds and, and uh, different things like that. And your family's in the industry, too. So, I mean, you do know quite a few people. Um, what are you hearing from people? Are, are you hearing anything? Are you seeing anything? Are you tweeting anything?
5: Yeah I talked to a good friend of mine he was on the rig yesterday imagine being on a drilling rig in West Texas watching oil prices go negative he, <laughs> I can only imagine that what that felt like I was just sitting here at home uh, like a lot of people are right now um there's there's people that are still working still employed but uh you know certainly uncertain about you know what the future is I think we all are in that state right now um given the coronavirus pandemic it's really something we've never seen you know the question is, you know, when will demand come back? It's really a question about demand, and you know the supply is is a is a function of the fact that producers, because of various reasons that you know I talk about in my posts and and to my clients, there are so many different um, scenarios, business models, and uh, you know p- you know pieces of acreage and reservoir quality and different factors that impact every you know of the many thousand producers differently and not to mention the service companies you know and I think what what I've seen what I've heard is a lot of the service companies when we have an oil price downturn tend to get hit first you know they're kind of the the first line of capital expenditure and so I've I've definitely heard of uh, unfortunately a few of my peers um, getting laid off on the service side and um, you know I think that's Pretty pretty much across the board in the industry, that's you know a question people are asking, and and it, I think it affects d- even different segments of the service industry. You know, you have obviously the drilling rigs, you got the frac crews, you got everything from production chemicals uh, to the artificial lift mechanisms that get oil and you know gas out of the ground, and the facilities. There's just all these different considerations, and and when you shut in a well, what does that do to the whole system? And Um, that, you know, we're, we're starting to, when, when you get, when you see negative prices, that basically is the market saying you have to pay the buyer to sell your oil. And so it's, it's kind of, it's almost like shots were fired yesterday and the market is telling producers, look, um, we, there's no, there's really no bottom to where we can go in prices, just because the demand has been shocked so greatly, and supply is getting filled up, you know, rapidly. And so, it's basically if you want to store oil, um, the the marketers are saying we, you know, we can go get really expensive. They're called FPSOs, like floating production storage and offloading vessels that can sit on the water. But that's about it right now. A lot of the on you know the onshore tanks are, are getting full. Cushing is expected to be full in a couple weeks, and so uh, we're really kind of running out of space. And what we saw yesterday in the in the price drop was really a actually a technical factor uh, that's based on the futures contract expiring. So that the May contract for crude oil futures, the NYMEX New York Mercantile Exchange, expired today at one thirty Central. And so that contract can no longer be traded and I'll talk just real briefly on on the, how the futures contracts change every month so you typically traders will trade one month in advance you can buy futures or sell futures you know years in advance um, but the futures market was created back in the, the late 1800s um, the Chicago Mercantile exchange uh, started the I think it was the egg, butter and cheese market. And so farmers had to know uh, what price can they sell at in months ahead before they make an investment to produce their crops or uh, milk the cows or what have you. And so so the same is true in oil and gas. If you're a producer or a seller, you can buy or sell crude oil on the futures market in the future. And, uh, but at, you know, at the end of the front month, that future, that contract expires making it worthless and in other words if you uh, are going to buy a contract expiring in May which have expired today and you're still holding on to it that uh, contract will take delivery and each contract each oil futures contract is 1000 barrels. So if you are a trader, and um, you hold a contract for expiry, you know, for May, and you held on to that contract, it would be delivered to you physically. Now, there's a difference between physical delivery traders and um, the financial derivative traders. So about half of the oil market that's traded is actual physical barrels. The other half is just people making a profit trading the paper. And so that's part of the phenomenon of what happened, but certainly seeing negative prices was shocking. And uh, and the, the, now we're looking at June oil. And so the question remains, what will demand look like in June? We already saw the June contract drop 40% today. So, last night it was at $20 a barrel um, and dropped overnight. I think it settled around 11 or 12. So, what I'm seeing in the market are red warning signs. And so, it's, um, you know, what it really comes down to what demand does. And uh, I think, you know, as the economy starts to open back up, you know, we'll get more information on how that's really affecting the markets. But certainly the oil and gas shock is impacting the globe and it may even be a telltale sign to what. Could be ahead if if uh, things don't open up sooner than later.
1: How about what are you hearing from people? Uh, two final questions, I guess. Then um, who knows? It'll probably expand into more off those two. But the one is uh, nationalizing oil, paying the uh, oil companies to keep it in the ground. That's a like I said, the Texas Railroad Commission is going on as we are speaking right now, and that that was part of the preview from last week was that discussion might come up whether they are going to control production to the tune of paying people and subsidizing it and then of course that opens up the bigger question of if that does happen across the united states really what we're doing is we're turning oil into corn and soybeans where the government's basically treating it like a a agriculture commodity uh i do want to ask you about that and then the other one is tariffs uh you can Choose if you want hot potato number one or hot potato number two. So (laughs) they're both kind of controversial in their own ways. But at the same time, it is healthy that we do have these discussions.
5: Right. Yeah, we we heard the Texas Railroad Commission speak last week and and the last OG brief that I published um, covered a lot on that. And uh, they actually had a meeting today as well and decide to defer their vote for mandatory production cuts in Texas until May 5th. Uh, And so um, we actually heard the U.S. Energy Secretary, Dan Brouillette, he spoke on Bloomberg today, and he he basically said that, um, and and Trump tweeted today, I don't know if you saw that, he he says, Trump, I'll quote, we will never let the great U.S. oil and gas industry down. I have instructed the Secretary of Energy and the Secretary of the Treasury to formulate a plan which will make available, uh, make oil available for these comp- important companies and jobs will be securing long into the future. I think I may have butchered that a bit, but, um, you know, the, it's taking recognition at the federal level. Um, and I think the U.S. Energy Secretary is, has looked further into uh, the SPR deal, what they can do to bail out energy companies. Um, I'm certainly not the best person to ask about politics uh, on Capitol Hill, but I, I do think that this shock is really kind of spoken loud and clear, and the industry really needs, you know, some help. These, the, and our last comment, and I think, Jason, we talked about free markets in the last OG brief, and, you know, a lot of economists have said, yes, free markets are, uh, you know, the way that capitalism should thrive, and that's really how the shale revolution got us to where we are today, but these are unprecedented times, and so there may be additional stimulus uh, ahead for certain oil companies, and I don't know exactly what that would look like. Um, but the t- the question of tariffs was brought up, and uh, Secretary Briette mentioned that uh, his take was that, you know, because I think I saw your post too, Jason, yesterday, the Saudis are still sending us oil, right? And so mm-hmm. we're, we're fighting, <laughs> U.S. shale is fighting against the Saudis right now, and the, a lot of the refiners, and I'm not an expert on the downstream side, but what I do know is that there's specific types of crude oil that they need in their refineries for their blends, and a lot of the sweet West Texas intermediate uh, works well in the refiners, but they also need sour crude from the Middle East. And so the blending factor is a part of it as to which, you know, oil they choose to buy. And unfortunately that's just the nature of, of, you know, the chemistry and the physics behind it. But, um, the tariffs, he didn't, uh, secretary briette did not seem to think tariffs would be the way to go. Uh, he, he said that, um, the refiner's ability to choose which type of crude is a matter of trade, not dependent on uh, necessarily imports. So he he didn't seem to think that tariffs would be a solution.
1: Well, any final thoughts? What what do you think in going in the future here as we're we're taking a look at negative oil prices and um, boy, you know, I mean, it's it it really could be it could be you know six months before the economy's kicking back up again i mean they're even with vegas they don't have any ideas so um anyway it's just historic times you know and like i said there's no right or wrong answer i guess on on some of these things with tariffs and speculation and saudi i was going to ask you about the saudi uh, ships coming over that congressman kramer sent me some quotes on that boy i Sounds like some guys might just end up going down there with some spud guns or something to keep them off. I mean, my goodness, it reminded me of the old Tea Party days, it sounded like.
5: Yeah, it felt like they were sending warships over almost. Right, <laughs> <I> no. <know. laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, my, I, I think we'll, we'll certainly learn a lot more in the you know coming days and weeks, uh, especially as far as any bailout potential. As far as the Redwood Commission, you know, I think – And this is what John Brown, uh, former CEO of BP, had mentioned. He talked about how um, that, you know, the demand is down 30 percent. It will come back slowly. Um, Ultimately, there's still a gap between supply and demand fundamentally. And so we're seeing that in the price, you know, dropping. Um, And having seen the fact that oil went negative, I don't think that's off the table Again, you know, for the June contract. So I'm very cautious. Uh, a lot of friends have asked me, should we be buying the dips and oil? I would say just hang tight. It's not really a, an opportunity to buy. This is a big shakeout, and we still don't know all of the factors how it's being impacted. You know, if you think about it, the whole globe is, is at a standstill. And, uh, you know, I think some places in China, Europe are reopening slowly, you know, how quickly the reopening occurs will impact a lot. And I think um, there's, you know, certainly more risk than there is opportunity right now. It's it's certainly can be a scary time, I would just say, especially for anyone that works in oil and gas, you know, because I, I thought this too, in the last downturn in 2016, I was trading oil and gas. And um, I looked at some uh, exchange traded notes that track the oil commodity. There's one called USO and UCO that are getting really popular right now. I've been asked from some peers, oh, should I buy this? Uh, I would caution against that. The way that those, uh, you know, if you have a broker like Fidelity or um, TD Ameritrade, uh, any of the normal, you know, pretty standard brokers out there, they typically you only have the ability to buy, first of all. You can't sell anything and short it. Uh, And secondly, a a lot of the um, ETNs that are traded are, they don't, exactly track the commodity price um in a, you know in a it's kind of controlled how they structure the the tracking and, and long story short is there are some definitely um some risks to owning any of those assets so i have been asked that already so i would just say hold off on buying any oil etns I, uh, right now this is an, a market where investors are you know running for the hills not buying the dips.
0: to listen to the full-length interview Visit the crudelife.com
6: If you feel a little dizzy, you're talking kind of silly like you have plans to save the world. Just remember your task. But only last if you don't take off your mass.
0: When they
1: ask me yeah, to do for today's The Crude Life Podcast, I'd like to thank John Clark for coming by today's program. Zach Ellis as well for stopping by to talk about some of the loan programs out there and some of the banks that are going after equipment, that sort of thing. Also, thank you very much for all the people who have emailed and all the people who have sent uh, social media requests and all kinds of different things. Thank you for engagement, let's put it that way, through the radio stations and the magazines and the podcasts and the social media. We appreciate it very much here at The Crude Life, everything that's going on with... uh, The COVID nineteen shutdown and the coronavirus and this bankers deal and the sole proprietors. I I really feel bad for a lot of the family businesses out there. My heart goes out to you. Like I said, I lost my business in two thousand and nine when the internet came and we didn't get any bailouts. We didn't get any help at all. In fact, we got the government competing. The government started up all kinds of different businesses within the government sector to compete with those in the in the media world. And It was very difficult, very difficult. So my heart goes out to all of you. Please know you will always have a place here at the Cruise Life, okay? We have a platform for you to get your voice heard, to get the word out there, okay? Give us a call. Give us an email. We love it. We love hearing from you. We love getting... Your voice out there and encouraging, looking at the good news. Like yesterday, you know, we felt pretty good about our show with the Bitcoin because there wasn't a lot of good news out there. But I'll tell you what, we found it. The Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, that whole thing, it's a a small silver lining, but it's there. And we decided to focus on the silver lining while everybody else focused on the doom and gloom. Plenty of time for that, folks, so... All right, that's going to do it for today. We're going to hand it off, is that right, to uh, the Bitcoin, Tom Asero, talking about emissions management and cryptocurrency on our daily radio update on the podcast. And then a few songs from the Moody River Band. Also, our studio sponsor, Hatching Leaders, and the Bakken Barbecue phone line. Thank you very much for all the sponsors that we have here at the Crude Life podcast. Provolone, excellent job today. Thank you very, very much for your hard, hard work. From the staff here at The Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life.
0: The Crude Life with host Jason Spies.
1: My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Tom Massero with the Great American Mining Company. Massero talks about how Bitcoin can be used during negative oil prices. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Thomas Massero, great American mining company, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update.
4: Well, I would just say this. The the data that we have, uh, going back to the the actual equipment that we've put on uh, on the patch, when we've backed out the pricing compared to what a producer would get for sending their gas into the pipeline uh, for the past about eight or nine months, and that's just going off of our own data, we could... Provide more historical data, but our own data is that on it on a on our worst month of producing Bitcoin, we were five times more profitable, and that's a net. This isn't gross, you know, with all of our expenses in five five x more profitable than sending it into the pipeline, and on a good month, up to ten x more profitable. So, for us, it's just a simple, you know, like I said in the last podcast, uh, both Bitcoin and The oil and gas industry is ruthless capitalism and ultimately once both sides understand that that's what's going on here uh it's going to be a a, a very wild ride well first and foremost our sole mission if you go to www.gam.ai here at great american mining we are helping oil and gas producers build a digital pipeline for stranded gas and so that's our primary mission we want to show them that this can potentially be a catalyst and a foundation for a third industrial revolution in our country and one final thought is that you know this is a uh, i would say an idea that i've heard you float around for you know as long as i've been listening to you and and that's this idea of the way to deal with the flaring issue Uh, for the entire oil and gas industry is to create a subsidy behind it and and you've been kind of broad about like how it would work or you know there haven't been a lot of details but in, in essence i believe that bitcoin mining is a flare mitigation subsidy for oil and gas producers because what bitcoin mining does it's a mechanism to efficiently convert energy into a currency and that's what you're needing in a subsidy. So that's how I would uh, go after that problem.
1: To listen to the full-length interview with Thomas Asero with Great American Mining Company, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're at crudelife.com, be sure to check out our podcast, social media pages, and much, much more. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spees. Asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a
0: way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by
1: Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com That's KeepEnergyGreat.com
6: I'm back to the way
0: Crude Life every Monday through Thursday with a Week in Review on Friday.